by sharing. I, I saw this this week, and I thought, this is, this is me. Like, this, what I'm about to share with you is, is me. This is my experience. Maybe your experience, too. And it was entitled, What My Mother Taught Me. See if this has been your experience as well. My mom taught me religion. When I would spill something on the carpet, she would say, you better pray that that comes out of the carpet. My mom taught me about logic. Whenever I would ask her why, she would say, because I said so. That's why. That's two for two. That's my mom, like guaranteed, right? My mom taught me about foresight. She said, you better make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident, okay? My mom taught me about irony. You keep laughing, and I'm going to give you something to cry about. Anybody else? Yeah, look at this. This is, this is our experience. My mom taught me about stamina. You're going to sit there until all that food is finished. Well, yeah, that was, that was us going up. My mom taught me about the weather. It looks like a hurricane came through your room. My mom taught me about the circle of life. I brought you into this world, and I will take you out. My mom taught me about behavior modification. Stop acting like your dad. My mom taught me about envy. There's millions of less fortunate kids in this world who don't have a wonderful mom like you do. Hey, all I can say is thank you, mom. Amen? Thank you, mom. Um, Ladies, I want to ask you a question. Who do you aspire to be? Who do you aspire to be? Who is your role model? I want you to think about that for a second. When, when you think of an example in, in life, like who, do you, who are you aiming to become like in life? Men, where do you want your wife, where do you want your lady to spend her time? In Genesis chapter 1, we see that God specifically designed women with a very unique purpose. And he designed women different than he designed men. Men and women are created differently. God has a special purpose, though, for both. A special purpose for men and a special purpose for women. And so I want you to see this today, ladies. God had a specific and special purpose in creating you. You have a special gifting, a special purpose. Two people ever created, Adam and Eve, they gave into sin and they dragged the entire human race into sin and into darkness. Man took what God had designed and made good and man helped to corrupt it and break it. Are you with me? And so the world, your flesh, and the devil, all of them are actively fighting against God's good purposes in your life. All three of those things are actively fighting against the good things that God has created you to do and God has created you for. All those things are are actively fighting against those. And so as we look around the world today, what we see is we see clearly that God's initial good purpose for women has been distorted, has been broken. Today in some countries uh, around the world, women are looked at still, even in this day and age, they're looked at still as no better than property. Some cultures view women as homebodies who just have to take care of the home, they have to take care of the kids, and the the husband has no responsibility at at all in helping with either of those things. And he just gets to kind of live however he wants to live. Here in America, though, we have a different mindset, right? We are in America running away from traditional marriage. Uh, faster than anything else. We're running away from traditional marriage where uh, our women are staying single for much longer. Many women today are still saying, I I don't even want to ever have kids. I I don't want to have single moms than ever before in history. 
In America, marriage and family is only one aspect of a woman, but it doesn't, we don't let it define a woman. Now, in each country, the point is this. In each country around the world, every country, every culture takes something that God has created to be good, and they take it, and they twist it, and they break it. It's just what we do, right? And we make it a false representation of what God meant to be good. And so this morning, I think one of the key things that we're going to learn is that God has a very high calling on women's lives. I think we're going to leave here today with a much better appreciation of how unique women are, of how wonderfully special that he has made every single woman here. Um, as we've been working our way through the book of First Timothy chapter 5, we saw Paul begin to focus on the family, inside the church, outside the church, and the responsibilities that you and I, that we have in God's family. Two weeks ago, we saw how Paul clearly hammered home that we are to encourage each other, that we're to build up each other, we're to minister well to our earthly families. Like, you're supposed to be marked by those things in your earthly family. Today, we're going to see him continue to hammer home those responsibilities in the family and inside the church family, right, as, as widows and women, right? He's already talked about how to care for the widows in the church. Today, ministry. The ministry of the widows. Because I think this is a great example for all of our ladies today. Now, some context here for us before we get into the text. In that day and age, when this text was written, men were not supposed to uh, serve women or minister to women. Right? Men were supposed to minister to and serve men. And women were supposed to minister to and serve women. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually pretty healthy, if, if you ask me. Right? But because life happens and because sometimes there's hardship, there's persecution, uh, there's suffering, what happened is there were widows in the church. There were widows in the church, probably much more so than we experience today. There were widows in the church. And because their husbands had left this world, they had extra time to minister to other women in the church. Some of these women were also being cared for by the church like we talked about two weeks ago. Now, one of the big ministries that we know from the early church was the ministry of the widows. The ministry of the widows in the early church was like unparalleled and unmatched. If Listen, every church in this world today would love to have the ministry of the widows that was going on in, in, that you see in the early church. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Incredible. Just mind-blowing how awesome their ministry was. What were some of the things they would do? They would minister to younger women. Do we need that in the church today? A check mark, yes. Right? They would visit the sick. Do we need that? Yes. Need that? Yes. They would help serve and care for orphans. We need that? Yes. Right? And they would help other widows as well. You want to talk about a powerful ministry? These women had an incredible ministry. But the point of 1 Timothy chapter 5 isn't so much about what these women did. It was really all about who was qualified to be on this list and serving in this ministry. If you remember back to 1 Timothy chapter 3, you remember that uh, Paul gave Timothy a list of qualifications for elders and for deacons. And he gave those qualifications without actually saying what elders and deacons actually do. Here's the qualifications, but he doesn't say, okay, now here's what they're actually going to do in that role, in that text. And so the same thing is kind of happening here in this chapter. What Paul is doing is Paul is giving qualifications for these widows who, who want to serve in this way, who want to serve on the widow's list. And so he only wants Timothy and Timothy's church to know that these are the kind of women that you want serving in this role. These are the qualifications of the women that you want serving in this way. 
These are descriptions of godly women. Amen? Now, for the men, the elder and the deacon qualifications, we talked about this when we were in 1 Timothy 3 a couple months ago, that this is a great target to aim for. Like, if you're looking for qualifications, not just qualifications, but if you're looking for character trait, be a deacon or a pastor or not, is, is irrelevant. These are great things to be aiming for, for all of us. Today, women, I want you to see that this list that we're going to look at is very similar to you. This is a great list for you to aim for. What you're going to see here shortly is that Paul is going to highlight God's special design for women. And again, it's a great target to aim for whether you're a widow, whether you've been married you know, for 30 years, whether you're just married or you're single. It doesn't matter. This is a great target for every woman in our church to aim for. And so what this text is going to do, it's going to highlight what a godly woman looks like. And it paints a great picture of what women should aim for in the church. Now, men, I want to ask you a question. When you're sick and you're in bed, you're down and out, you're in bed. Men, this is for you. Does your house still run well? Yeah, it does. Right? It, it, uh, listen, let's just be honest. Let's just be real. Of course it does. Now, men, same question. If your wife... If she's down and she's out and she's in bed and she's sick, does your house still run as well? The, whoa, somebody's about to get an elbow over here. I don't know. I better watch out for him. Listen, your house is in trouble, men, when the women in your house are down and out and can't serve the way that, they're, that they normally serve. Amen? Ready? The church is the same exact way. See, when the women in the church cannot function in the way that God has specifically designed them to function, and they're not able to serve the way that God has called them and designed them to serve, the church is not better. The church is worse. The church is going to struggle. The church is not going to do what it's, what it's called to do. We're not going to accomplish the things that we've been called to accomplish. Why? Because the women are not being able to serve in the way that they're called and designed to serve. So as a church, what I want you to hear this morning is that we must honor the role of women in our church, and we must lift high the role of women in our church. And that's what our text is going to do today. Our text is going to bring honor to women. It highlights, again, God's very special design for women. Number one this morning is this. Write this down. Godly women desire to minister to others well. Godly women desire to minister to others well. 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 10. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60 has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. We'll stop there. I want to say right off the bat that Paul, giving an age marker of 60 years old, for some of you that might seem a little odd, and I'm going to come back to that, I promise, okay? We're going to come back to that age marker. Should desire to be. First things first, he says what? He says, faithful to who? Her husband. And so this isn't, because some people say it is, this is not a statement against women remarrying after a husband has passed away. Right? There's some scholars out there who say, oh, women should never get remarried afterwards. No, that's not, that's not the case. It's not the case at all. This is what it is, is a statement just about faithfulness while they were married. A faithfulness. Remember how deacons, remember how pastors are supposed to be one, a one-woman man? Well, the same thing here is true of who? Women. 
Women are supposed to be faithful to their husbands, just like men are supposed to be faithful, right? You want the leaders who lead your church to be faithful to their wives? Well, women have to be faithful to their husbands as well. What we see is that in church leadership, character matters. Character is incredibly important. In verse 10, Paul says that she needs to be well known for her good deeds. Now, this isn't just about her doing a couple of good things here and there. That's not what this is ultimately about, right? Paul gives us here that what are some of the things that she should be known for, for her good deeds. First thing uh, that Paul says is that a good deed she should be known for is bringing up children. Now, for those of you who may not have children yet, maybe you don't plan to have kids, or maybe you've been unsuccessful at trying to, you know, have children, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to get this, right? And what does that mean? It means that it could be her kids or others' kids, either one. And so when Paul says that, that she should have brought up children, he probably has in mind both the raising up of maybe her own kids, but also the receiving of abandoned babies as well. We're going to talk about this because this was a a major issue 2,000 years ago in that culture. And so one scholar said it this way. He said, the words brought up may refer to the children of others who were educated in the Christian faith by faithful Christian women. And so, again, Paul's not excluding women here. I want you to see this. He's not excluding women who aren't able to have kids. Back in that day and age, in that culture, in the Roman culture, orphans were extremely common. Right? Extremely common. All right? Many kids were abandoned in that day and age for one reason or for another. And so something that marked the early church was that the women in the church, specifically the widows, they would go out and they would care for the orphans. They would care for them because there was nobody else caring for them. And so they would step up and they would care for them. You know, some people like to think that abortion is a, a relatively new thing, but it's not. It's been around for, I don't know, at least a couple thousand years. Abortion has been around. Uh, and so oftentimes in this culture, right, the women just had the baby, abandoned the baby. That's what they would do. And so it was common in a lot of different towns and a lot of different places in the Roman Empire uh, in those towns to have a place in the town where women would go after they gave birth to abandon their baby. Maybe somebody might pick up the baby and take care of the baby. Now, some of you might say that's just grotesque. That's horrible. That's horrific. And I'm not excusing it. What I am going to say is we have to put ourselves in the shoes of a lot of these women. Because 2,000 years ago, women were treated much differently than they are treated today. 2,000 years ago, women were treated, again, like you were property. Many women couldn't own, you couldn't own property. You couldn't uh, speak to another man outside of your home. I mean, women were treated just in a completely different way. And so oftentimes, it may not be the woman who's saying, I, I don't want this baby anymore. Oftentimes, it might have been the man who was superior to her in that culture who would say, get rid of that baby. I don't want another mouth to feed. Or maybe if the gender wasn't the right gender that they had desired, they would say, just like today, we still see that happening today, right? If the gender is not the right gender, then let's get rid of that baby. So it wasn't always, and I want you to hear this, it wasn't always that the women just hated their babies. Can you, can you please hear that today? Because it's easy for us to sit there and pick up rocks and get, ah, no, let's not do that today. Or looked weak They would also get rid of the babies as well. Uh, And so it was extremely common back then and much different than today in the sense that today you don't just see women abandoning their babies all over the place. 
Right? We don't have, I mean, we have fire stations and things like that where women, if they do not want their baby anymore, they can go and take the baby to the fire station. We have that, but we, that's not a very common thing. It's a very rare thing in our culture today. Here's what would oftentimes happen to those babies that were not cared for. If those widows did not step in and take care of those babies, here's oftentimes what they knew would happen to them. Those babies would be taken and sold as slaves or raised to be slaves or raised to be prostitutes, both boys and girls in the Roman culture. James said this in James 1.27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To what? To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Hear me on this. The women who were doing this and caring for those orphans, you better believe they were honoring Christ at a high level. At a really, really high level. And so some families that couldn't have kids of their own, uh, some families would make a huge sacrifice to go out and try and minister and have compassion on these orphans. And so it was very normal back then for a lot of women, especially in the church, whether it was their kid or somebody else's kid, it didn't matter. Many women, it was very normal for all the women to have tons of experience in ministering to kids. Why? Because this was a ministry of the early church. The early church women would serve and care for orphans at a very high level. And I want you to understand, it wasn't just like babysitting. Okay, it wasn't just like, hey, let's go serve one hour, once a month in the kids' ministry. None of that. Like, this is much different than, than that. Right? They were literally investing in these young people and helping them, taking care of them, showing compassion on them. Why? Because their parents had abandoned them. So they're coming in and, and, and taking care of them when they had nobody else, preventing these other bad things from happening to them. Do you think Christ was honored by that? Oh, yeah. And so Paul also says that women were to be known for the hospitality that they showed. Right? They, would, they would care for others who might be passing through their area or who were in need. Back in that day and age, there was no Airbnb, no Hotels.com, no Priceline, right? none of that stuff. That, that stuff didn't exist back then. And so when you went to a city and you were a Christian, you went to a new city for business or you know, you're traveling through, what would happen is oftentimes another Christian family would put you up for the night. That was the norm. Right? And so the women right, were part of that, and it was you showing hospitality right, and welcoming other people into your home, the feet of the Lord's people. Some of you are like, I draw the line at feet. I do. I, uh, I have a hard time with feet. I don't like feet. I'm just I'm very grossed out by feet. Anybody else? Dang. Okay. Well, <laughs> man, I felt really scared there for a second. We got a couple people. Thank you. I owe you guys. All right. Here's what we know. We know that the roads back then were extremely disgusting. So as you were walking in the streets, you might, right, you, you wore open-toed shoes, you might step in mud, you might step in, obviously you have dirt, the dust, right, if you missed and you stepped in dung or something like that. All of those things would be on your shoe, sometimes in between your toes. Some of you are like, oh, it's gross. Yeah, it's gross. You hear what I'm saying? Like, this is disgusting. And what they would do is when they would come to a house, they would always want to leave all that stuff outside. Just like today, oftentimes when you go into someone's house, what do you do with your shoes? Take them off, right? Most of the time you take off your shoes if you're going into someone's house, you completely take them off. Why? Because you want to leave the dirt outside or leave it at the door so you don't track it all over the house. Well, it's the same thing here. They didn't want all that stuff in their house, but also because many times when you had someone into your home, you were going to eat a meal with them. And you sat kind of on the floor 
in a, in a lot of these different cultures, you sat on the floor, and so someone's feet would be literally right next to you while you're trying to eat your food. And you're looking down at someone's nasty feet. No, we're not going to eat. Same thing here. Same thing here. Foot washing, what I want you to understand, foot washing was a very lowly job. It was considered to be one of the lowest jobs that you could have in that society. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you, you can't wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. It was clear from, from that text that, that feet washing was seen to be only as someone who was a servant. Like, it was a menial task, and so here's what this means. If a woman was willing to wash the feet of others, here's what it showed. It showed that she had tremendous humility. Let me just tell you something. When a church is looking for a pastor, deacons, Bible study leaders, uh, anything like that, anything, you know, anything, any kind of leadership, humility this, are you willing to teach a class? Some of my people say, yes, I am willing to teach a class, by, as a matter of fact. Are you willing to clean a toilet? See, if you're not willing to clean the toilet, you have no business teaching the class. No business. They, they go hand in hand, right? right? There's, there's a humility that has to mark you if you're going to serve in church leadership. And that's why it's one of the reasons why Paul gives this. Because what could be more humble in that day and age than washing feet? Paul says that godly women will help those in trouble. We've hammered this home throughout this, this series that Christians in that day and age were already being persecuted at a very high level. Life was already hard, very hard to begin with. And so godly women who showed compassion, right, were to be very highly valued and very highly respected. Godly women were there care for those who were hurting and suffering, whether it meant they were caring for those who were suffering or uh, hurting mentally or physically or emotionally. It didn't matter. They would care for them. Now, most of these qualifications that the Apostle Paul gives here are others-focused. They're others-focused, meaning they're about serving others. They're about focusing in on others. And so it wasn't just how did a widow serve, but how did she also serve when she was already married? Like before she became a widow, how did she serve? Right, meaning her life was to be marked by being others-oriented. That she was about Christ and she was about others. Like, you are to be marked by serving. You consider yourself to be a daughter of the Most High, amen? Prayerfully you do because that is your identity if you're a believer in Christ. You are a daughter of the Most High. But friends, serving must mark you. It must mark you. And so friends, don't miss this. You have a very high calling. Ladies, you have a very high calling just like men do. Oftentimes in the church, it's been, it's been just, the women have been left out in so many churches, but ladies, hear it today. You have a very high calling, a very important calling, just like men. And a huge aspect of your calling is serving. That's to be your goal. Now, these were supposed to be the qualities of women who were going to be added to the widow's list, like we're, we've been talking about. And Paul recognizes up front that not everyone's going to make this list. Not everyone's going to be on this list. But this is the goal. Amen? 
Like, focus on others, love your husband and your family well, care for others, be humble, show compassion, demonstrate compassion, and live for Jesus and live for others before yourself. Sounds pretty good to me, right? Like, this is the goal for godly women. And so let me, let me ask the women just to dream for a minute, okay? Dream with me. One of the biggest things in, in my conversations with, with women in ministry for the last, I don't know, 17 years or so has been this. Most women will tell me or that I feel led to do by God. I just don't have the time. So let's just take time out of it for a, for a second. Let's just say you had the time. Which one of these things would you do even more? Which one of these things would you say, I'm going to do that even more? Like, I, I, I want to be all about that. If time wasn't an issue, which one would you do even more? Listen, as you grow in the likeness of Christ, serving should be something else that grows in your life as well. Number two, godly women remember their God-given purpose in life. As for the younger widows, do not put them on such a list. For when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things that they ought not to say. Again, Paul here is simply just uh, listing who's qualified to join the ministry of the widows in the church. Now, I told you that we would come back to this, uh, verse 9 here. Uh, Paul said that she has to be over what age to make the list? 60. And so to understand this comment better, you have to understand that most people didn't live past 60. A lot of people didn't live past 60, right? They, they just didn't. A, a lot of women died during childbirth, you know, diseases, were, but even more so in, in that day and age. And so Paul's looking at these women who are younger than 60, and he's calling them younger widows. Now here's what I know most women are hearing today. If you're under 60, Paul just called you young. Okay? You're like, woohoo, right? Awesome. Now, Paul says that, that women under 60, right, shouldn't devote their lives to the ministry of the widows yet. And they, the question is why? Because back then, it was very normal and almost expected for women who were under the age of 50 to get remarried if their husband had passed away. That was very normal. And so it was the norm. Right, for people, if somebody passed away, to get remarried. And so Paul says that younger women shouldn't be able to serve in this ministry for the rest of their lives yet. Why? Because they may forget their purpose and they may forget the pledge that they took. One of the things that we know was that to become part of the widow's list is the women had to make a pledge. And what was the pledge? The pledge was that I will never get remarried and obviously I can't have kids anymore. And so the church is now going to be my family. The church will now be my family, and I will serve the church as my family. Paul, what he doesn't do is Paul doesn't condemn younger women for wanting to be on the list. But he also is not going to condemn younger women who have become widows who want to get remarried. He's not going to condemn them either. Obviously, he's observing that sometimes, and this must have been a, a case there, that between their husband's death in the present tense, that they started to want to be married again, or they started to want to have the companionship of a man in their life. And so these women were supposed to focus on serving the sick, praying for people. Just like today, sometimes make, people make a decision or a commitment and they don't stand by their commitment. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever broken something you said you committed to and you said, I'll do this and you didn't do it? Anybody? 
Just a, just a handful of us. Other people, they always keep their word on everything. It's impressive. Very impressive. Well, it happened that some of these ladies had made a commitment. They had made this pledge, and they had made this pledge too early. And because they made it too early, what happens is they started to desire to have a relationship with a man again. And so what they had to do is they had to make a decision. I've already made this pledge. I'm going to break this commitment that I already made here to the church and to God in order so that I can have this relationship. I want you to understand God takes commitments very seriously. And it was a sin for these ladies to break that commitment. Numbers 30, verse 2, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything that he said. Numbers 30, verse 9, any vow or obligation taken by a widow or divorced woman will be binding on her. Okay? So meaning this, God is very clear. If you make a commitment, keep our word is what God says. Why? Because God always keeps his word. And God wants you to be like him. So he says, be like me, keep your word. And so what Paul is getting at is that it's, it's actually a good thing that these women wanted to get remarried. Now, not after they had made this pledge, but this desire to get remarried after their husband had passed away was actually a good thing. And so what Paul was saying is, hey, don't rush into this too quickly. Don't get into this too quickly because your feelings may change after a little bit of time. Your desires might change. And marriage is a good thing. I want you to hear that. Younger women need to hear that. Marriage is a good thing. It's a very good thing. You live in a culture today where your culture today tells you you don't have to get married. You don't need no man. You, don't need, you know, that's what our culture today tells you. Well, actually, you do need a man, right, if you want to fulfill the creation mandate. You do. And you can only fulfill the creation mandate that God has given to people in the context of marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman. Let me be more specific. You can only fulfill it in that way. And so what I want you to hear is that marriage is good. Friends, marriage is good. I know, listen, uh, that, that we see in our culture marriage is under attack. Uh, marriage, you know, there's a lot of marriages that are failing. It doesn't, it doesn't negate this, that marriage is still good. Don't let them take this vow before 60 because their, their feelings could change. You know, a lot of people get into bad relationships. Maybe you can relate to this. You get into bad relationships, whether it's a dating relationship, whether it's a, um, a friendship, because you're desperate for some companionship. So you're willing to go, well, I'll overlook these things that I probably shouldn't overlook because I'm desperate for the companionship. And so Paul encourages women younger than 60, hey, get remarried if you have that desire to remarry. And if not, wait until you turn 60 to do this. What I want you to understand also, Paul talks about the other danger that he saw with these younger widows, is that instead of ministering, some of them were being social. And, and listen, being social is not necessarily a bad thing. Can we just say that up front? Like having friends and relationships and just talking about things other than God's word, it's okay. Everybody understand? So that's not what Paul's saying here, right? But what he was saying is, and, and maybe this is a better example, how many times have you been to a Bible study where you didn't even open the Bible or talk about the Bible. You just talked about what was going on in each other's lives. Right? Like, is that good? No. We came together for the purpose of opening the Word together and edifying each other in the Word of God, yet all we did was just talk about what's going on in our lives. It's not bad to talk about what's going on in your lives, but if you talk about what's going in your lives and you neglect the Word of God, that's bad. You can't neglect it. And so what I want you to see is this. 
When we aren't doing what God designed us to do the way that God designed us to do things, things don't get better, they get worse. Right? So instead of these younger women ministering like they were supposed to, they would get sidetracked, and things in the church that they had committed to doing would suffer and would not be getting done. And so they were actually creating more problems for the church leadership than solving problems. So church leaders, right, that's, that's part of it. Right? When you say, hey, I'm going to do something and I'm going I'm to commit to this, you've got to do it. Otherwise, you create more problems than fix or help. Women, let me ask you. Here's a, here's a big question. And I want you to think about this. What is your purpose in life? Can you define your purpose in life? Like if I walked around with a microphone right now and said, hey, what's your purpose? What would you say? I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. Some of you are like, i, I got to get out of here real quick. We're not doing that today. But I want you to think about that question. That's a real question. What is your purpose in life? Do you know what your purpose is? If you don't know what your purpose is, that's something that you, listen, don't, don't pass go, don't collect $200, you stop. You need to know what your purpose is because our purpose is what directs us in life. It's, what, it's where we know what we're aiming for in life. So what is your purpose? Number two, if you already know your purpose, have you lost your purpose of your purpose? Does your job rob you of what your purpose is? Men, we have to encourage our wives to do what God has called them to do. We have to be the encouragers. It can't just be all about us. It's easy for us to go, well, I'm the leader of the family. It's, put that aside for a second. Come on, man. Your wife matters too. And you need to be the encourager asking her these questions. What's your purpose? How can I help you so that you can reach and, 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 and accomplish what God is calling you to accomplish? Her ministry matters just like yours does. Amen? And so she needs to hear that from, from the Lord, what her purpose is. And one of the ways that we serve our wives is by hearing what her purpose is from her and then encouraging her in that. Coming alongside and saying, I'm with you. I'm praying about this for you. I'm committed, just like you're committed to, I'm going to be committed to helping you through that. Question is, are we doing that? Some of you might say, yes, I'm doing that. Can we do it better? Yeah. Lastly is this, number three. Godly women make their families a priority as their very first ministry. Not the church. Do you hear me? Women, the church is not your first ministry. Your family is your first ministry. He says, so I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their home. Follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. You know, today, if women uh, are, you know, stay at home in our culture to raise a family, a lot of people look down on them and shame them. And then there's the opposite, right? Oh, you're a woman who's working, and there's people who look down on them and shame them. Um, I want to talk about the, the first one, though, right? Because people oftentimes think that a woman who chooses to stay home, maybe she's uneducated, or maybe her husband has forced her to stay home. And I want you to see that's not what Paul's getting at here. That's not what Paul's talking about here. And, the, and friends, listen, the Bible doesn't teach that either. The Bible never teaches us that that, that has to happen. Um, I've known very sharp women, very sharp women who are stay-at-home moms. And I've known very sharp women who are in the, the, business, the business world. I've known both. And so it, it kind of just matters where, like, where you're at. You can still be very sharp. Amen? So he says that likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. 
not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children and to be, uh, excuse me, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. For women. It has to be. If you're married, if you're married, lean in. If you're married, your marriage is to be your priority. Jesus, marriage. We're not to kids yet. First, we got to be about Jesus. We don't get to be about our husbands unless we're about Jesus first. Jesus, then husband, and then kids. Now, it's easy, and I get it, for, for many women, it's very easy to take the kids and put them at number one and say, Jesus, I'll make time for you later. Husband, I'll make time for you after that. Somewhere over there. And God says, no, 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 no. Nope. And it goes the other way for the men, too. We'll maybe talk about this on Father's Day, right? But for the ladies, we're focusing on you. Jesus, husband, kids. In that order, when you get things out of that order, now you're going to break things. Things are, going to, things are starting to get twisted. Things are going to start to be rough. What I want you to know is that work and having a job is great. If you work, if you're a woman who works, hey, awesome. But family is a greater priority to you, and it should always be the greatest priority to you, not your job. You're like, I have to pay the bills, so what? Everybody has to pay bills. Family is to be the greatest priority. Ministry is great. Having a ministry is awesome. Family is a greater priority than, than ministry is for all of us. Pastoring's up. It, it just happens. Uh, and so what I want you to hear is that this doesn't mean that you can't have a job. It doesn't mean that you can't serve in ministry. It just means make sure your priorities stay the way they're supposed to stay. And maybe some of you today, you might need to go, hey, I, I got to fix this. I, I got to readjust some things. You may have to do that. Listen, as you grow older, as your kids grow older, your priorities start to shift a little bit. They just do. And, and regardless, what I don't want the ladies to do is I don't want you to lose sight of your purpose. You have a tremendous purpose. Your purpose is to honor Jesus by, by making sure that you serve and you care for your family well, first and foremost. You, you care for them well. Again, this doesn't mean that you're the maid of the house. Men, we have to make sure that our wives never feel like they're the maid of the house. We have to make sure of that. We have to come alongside them and do that. Absolutely not. What it does mean, though, is that God has given you ladies unique gifting, and he's given you a, a unique purpose to minister to your husband, to your, to your family, in a way, listen, that men cannot do. God has created you in a way to do things that you can only do. Your husband can't do these things, and, or listen, he may do them, but he can't do them well. You were created, and you can do these things well. This is the way God made you. Women were created, why? Why were women created? Because it wasn't good for man to be alone. That's what scripture tells us. God looked and said it wasn't good that Adam was alone. Husband. You are mirroring, mirroring Christ to your kids when you are fulfilling your purpose. When you have things in order, when you have priorities in order, when you have the priority of Jesus first, husband second, then kids, and you're loving and serving everything well, right, then what happens is you are mirroring Christ back to everybody. And it's beautiful. It's tremendous. Our, as Christians, what's our job? As Christians, our job is to point other people to Jesus, to help other people follow Jesus. Ladies, one of the ways you do that is by serving other people well. All the people in life, you, you serve them well. I'm going to try to start wrap this up. A woman who serves other people well, woman who loves other people well, 
a woman who is humble, a woman who is compassionate, a woman who ministers well, and who prioritizes their family, they're rare. Especially in this day and age, they're rare. But this is the goal, isn't it? I'm not here today to try and put more things on you. I, I recognize that you're like, I don't want to feel like I don't measure up. That's not the goal. The goal is not to be a burden because this is not a burden. It's not supposed to be a burden. It's only a burden if things are out of order in your life. And maybe this is the calling where you go today, God's saying, it may feel like a burden because things are out of order, but if we get this thing right, you put me first. What does he say? Right? I got it. You put me first, I got the rest. And that's, maybe that's the calling for some of us today. Say, hey, okay, Jesus, I got, I got to put you first. I wanted to share a, a story if I could to close. Can I do that? I thought this was really good. It was uh, by a man named E.V. Hill, and he was a pastor in Los Angeles. And he told a story about mama's love and prayer, and it changed his life. During the, the height of the Great Depression, Hill's real mother, who had five children of her own, didn't have enough food to go around. And so at that point, she sent her four-year-old son to go live with a friend in a small country town called Sweet Home. And so Ed, he just called this new lady who was taking care of him, Mama. And as he was growing up in Sweet Home, Mama displayed remarkable faith, which led her to have very big plans for the young Ed. Against nearly insurmountable obstacles, Mama helped Ed to graduate from high school. He was the only student that year in his high school to graduate. And said she wanted him to go to college. She took Ed to the bus station. She handed him a ticket. She gave him $5. And she said, now you go off to Prairie View College. And Mama is going to be praying for you every step of the way. And so Hill claims that he didn't know much about prayer, but he knew Mama knew about prayer. When he arrived at the college with a dollar and 90 cents in his pocket, Hill describes what happened next to him. I got in line to register, and the devil said, get out of line. But I heard Mama saying in my ear, I'll be praying for you. And so I kept standing in line. I stood in line on Mama's prayer. Soon there was another student ahead of me, and I began to get really nervous, but I stayed in the line. And just about the time the other student got all of her stuff and turned away, Dr. Drew touched me on the shoulder, and he said, Are you Ed Hill? I said, yes. Are you Ed Hill from Sweet Home? Yes. Have you paid yet? Not, not quite. We've been looking for you all morning, he said. I said, well, what do, you, what do you want with me? What, did I do something wrong? He said, we have a four-year scholarship that will pay for your room and your board and your tuition and give you $30 a month to spend. And here's what Ed said. He said, and I heard Mama say, I will be praying for you. Amen? I want to just say happy Mother's Day to all the ladies here. I want you to know you are valued, you are important, you are vital to our church accomplishing our mission here. Every single one of you is vital. Amen? Can I just have the ladies stand? All of you, ladies? All ladies stand. I want to pray for you. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you, if I may. You need prayer? Let's talk to the Lord. Father, Father, as we sang today, oh, you're so good to us. You love us so well. Your love is perfect. Your love is, is, is unconscionable. It's unfathomable. We can't even understand 
how much you love us. Just when we think we fully understand how much you love us, you remind us we don't really understand it at all. But we know it's great. And we know it's tremendous. Lord, we know we can come to you with anything. So Lord, right now I just want to come to you and lift up all these ladies who are here. Lord, first and foremost, thank you for bringing them to new beginnings. Thank you that they're part of this church. Thank you for the way that they serve this church. Thank you for the leadership that they are. Thank you for the way that they care for others. They show compassion. Thank you for them. Thank you for the humility that they bring. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for our women today. We know and we recognize that it is by your grace that we have these awesome women here. It's not because we're a special church or anything. Lord, you brought every single woman here, every single girl here on purpose for a reason. And we're grateful for it. Lord, as we just lift up these women to you, Lord, I'm going to pray that the things that we talked about today would, maybe for some of them might have felt like a burden, but after today, Lord, we pray that they would be a joy. That for these ladies, the way that you've called them and you designed them to be, Lord, you've called them and they are your daughters. And to be a daughter of the Most High is to be a joy. It's to be always seen as a privilege. Lord, never a burden. So, Lord, we, we, we lift that up. We lift up maybe for, for some of our, our families. Maybe some priorities might need to change a little bit. And, Lord, it's possible with you. You can help them do that. And then joy would be restored where joy might be missing. True joy. Lord, we also pray for, 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 the, for the women who may feel like I, I don't have a purpose. Maybe they feel like they don't really contribute anything. They just feel kind of out of place. Lord, would you show them their purpose? Show them that you created them for a very specific reason, for a very specific purpose. Nobody is on this planet by accident. Everybody matters. Everybody means something. And Lord, that's the case with all these women here. Lord, I pray for us as men that we would be encouragers. That we would encourage our, our, our sisters in Christ. We would encourage our wife as well. That, Lord, we would say, what's your purpose? And we would encourage them in that purpose. Lord, the ladies have a lot on their plate. They have so much going on in their lives. And, Lord, I know sometimes it's hard because time feels like it robs us. That you would continue to bless these ladies in a mighty and profound way. Lord, I, I, I know some of these ladies, and they love you. Lord, they long to serve you. They long to serve other people. They long to build up your church. They long to show compassion to others. They long um, to, to be marked by humility. They long for these things. They want to be like you, Jesus, and they want to help others follow you. Lord, I pray that you would bless them for it. Lord, we already know you're going to give them everything they need to do everything you've called them to do. But, Lord, I'm praying for a blessing above and beyond that, more than that. Lord, I pray that you would show them great favor as they seek to minister to other people, as they seek to build your kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would open doors, Lord, that you would bless them with resources, anything they need in order to accomplish what you have called them to accomplish. Lord, I pray that you would even give them tenfold, even greater. Lord, I pray for the health of these women. I don't know the, the health concerns that some of them have, but in a room this size with the women, amount of women we have, I know there's probably some that are wrestling with health concerns today. So, God, I'm going to pray for their health. That, Lord, if there's anything that's trying to uh, afflict their body, that you would remove it. So, Lord, if someone needs healing, I pray for healing today over these ladies as well. Lord, if, if someone needs hope in this room right now, whether it's a man or a woman, Lord, who...
And there's always hope, and the hope is spelled J-E-S-U-S. Hope is in Jesus. Remind our souls of that, not just our minds, but remind our souls, Father, of the hope that we have in your son, Jesus. Lord, I just, again, want to thank you for these, these awesome, beautiful ladies who are here, our sisters in Christ. Again, Lord, we just praise you, praise you, Father, for the gift that they are to this church. Again, we pray that you would continue to use them in a mighty and profound way, that everything that the ladies would do in this church would always bring you glory and honor. Lord, because that's what this is all about. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your mighty name. Amen.